from 10-11 now. Mills off to the left of Adrian. Now they shift him to the right. Turn. Adrian, quarterback, keeper, right side. Touchdown. Nebraska. And the 10-11 studios in Lincoln, Nebraska. The man in motion. They get off the Tater power left. He's to the 10, steps inside of the 5, spins his way into the end zone. Touchdown, Wisconsin. This is the End Report Podcast. Now, how about this? In Nebraska's long history of playing football, the Huskers have never played a game in the state of Maryland. That's the destination for this week as the regular season nears its finish. With Dan Corey, I'm Kevin Suits. Thanks for pulling up the End Report podcast on this November afternoon. Dan, a beautiful day here in Huskerland. 60 degrees in mid-November. I'm feeling good. How about you? Yeah. Well, weather's nice. Weather's like, nice for this time and of year. Honestly, I feel encouraged about Nebraska's product from this past week. Yes, it was a loss to Wisconsin, a nationally ranked team in which they played toe-to-toe for a good portion of the game. Progress, right? Fans just wanted to see progress, and I think that that's what was on the field against the Badgers. Yeah, I think the crowd is probably 50-50, where 50% of the fan base would agree with you, and the 50% would not the other 50 i'm okay with that actually there have been times this year where it's been 80 20 and 70 30. i think some people look at that game and and see what Diedrich mills did and see the yardage and know that there was missed opportunities and nebraska drove down the field up and down on on a good really good wisconsin defense Uh, and they say look you know hey there's some progress and then the other 50 percent Think of about the kickoff return and the pass to Wyatt Mazur and the tackling and the missed opportunities and overall the 37-21 to 21 loss, seventh straight loss to Wisconsin. And fourth in a row in 2019. So that puts the Huskers at 4-6 and six overall. They're 2-5 and five in the Big Ten. Two games are left against Maryland and Iowa. A win is needed each time in order to reach bowl eligibility. Remember, Nebraska had four wins to conclude Scott Frost's first year with the Huskers. I'm going to take you back to that Wisconsin game, Dan. You just kind of outlined some of the most glaring things that happened in that game. The poor tackling, um, who the ball, who had the ball with the game pseudo on the line there. Nebraska's last offensive play. Where do, you, where do you fall on the assessment of Nebraska football in that game? Clearly, I, I've already said that I, I walk away from that game encouraged. And I saw a lot of good things, especially considering at one point in time, Nebraska's defensive line was, get this, Keem Green, Finn Anderson, and Khalil Davis. That was, before the season, perhaps the strongest unit on Nebraska's team. And that's who they were playing. Overall, I walked away from that game thinking, hey, not a bad effort. They really looked like last year's team, in my opinion, and, and a lot of that has to do with Adrian Martinez. It seemed like Adrian had kind of formed into his old self of last year where he was running with authority. He had the one mistake, but you're going to – the interception I'm talking about where Chris Orr tipped it, of course you're going to have a mistake. You're going to turn the ball over – uh in games and the one interception okay that's there but other than that I thought he played really really well uh and mainly running the ball and you could tell Wisconsin just had so much trouble trying to stop Adrian Martinez as well as Diedrich Mills um and again it goes to the 50-50 crowd where it's like you look at Diedrich Mills and he goes 
18 carries for or 17 carries for a buck 88, but only four of those came in the second half. So now part of the fan base is like, well, why didn't you feed him the ball in the second half? Especially as you said, when the game is on the line and it, it's so uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too, because it's like, you want to see players that really care and they love Nebraska in the game as opposed to maybe players that, uh, you know what, we're just going out there to play a football game and it's just a game. But when Wyatt Mazur um, comes in the game, when the game is on the line and, and can't get it done, they're like, well, why is Wyatt Mazur out there? Well, now you need more talent. And so it just, it's so many things. It's not just, it's unfortunate when you talk about this football team for us because it's, it's not like we can pinpoint one thing and say, that's the problem. That needs to get fixed. It's everywhere. It's offense, defense, and it's especially special teams. This is a recurring conversation where it just all doesn't line up. We've talked about this so many times throughout the season that offense does well, defense does not. Special teams does well, offense does not. It's getting everything to operate together at an extremely high level. And I think that's what's really maddening about this season is that there are times where it looks good and there are times where it doesn't look good. It just happens to be the case in the same game and it happens to be the case uh, consistently throughout this year. And that's how you get a, uh, a team that's it's not 500, it's below 500 at this point in time. And it's been, as we counted out, counted up 44, it's been 44 days since Nebraska has won a football game. They've got the four losses in a row, and then there were two bye weeks in there too. So this team is just starved for a victory. And here's Scott Frost talking about the team's mentality and what he's preaching as they head into the final two weeks of the regular season. We just need to win. That's it. You can't put any more on it than that. Um, in some ways, winning's a habit and losing a habit. And... Um, I think there's a few too many guys on our team that are conditioned to um, not win, and we need to flip that and make sure that winning's a habit. But in order to do that, you got to get one, and uh, it's been too many weeks before, since we've gotten one. Put it in reverse real quick here. We were talking about the white Missouri play, and we've said, both you and I both said, the game is quote-unquote on the line. We understand that it's still a two-score game. But the reason we say that is because they needed to score there and they needed a touchdown. So that's where we're trying. We're not trying to make too much of it. But bottom line is that's a very key play. And the outcome of the game was going to hinge on if Nebraska gets a touchdown on that play or not. It is fourth and eight or nine at that point in time with, I believe, about five or six minutes left in the ballgame. Well, the Missouri one, it was actually two minutes left. Kevin. It was that close yeah, to the end. Yeah, because remember – uh, they burned a timeout with like two minutes left because it was like, okay, okay you're, you're down right. 16. You need two touchdowns, two two-point conversions. and But there like, was still – You're like, if you score here, do you kick the onside or do you kick off normally? Well, they started draining the clock more and more, and you're like, snap it or you're wasting too much time. Finally, they called timeout, and in the end, it, it didn't matter at all. Now, I'll say this about that play. Love the play call. I thought that play call was great, and you had somebody with the ball in their hand about three yards from the goal line. So you're in a spot where you could score. We're not talking about a play that's just a jumbled mess. It was organized. It was a good look. 
Now, there was an offensive lineman that should have released and caught and knocked, uh, knocked the defender out of the play, and White Missouri can easily walk into the end zone if you go back and watch the replay. But the bottom line is, a Nebraska football player had the ball in his hands, needing to go three yards based on where he advanced the football. He needed just three more yards, and then Nebraska has that score. Then you can talk about the two-point conversion. Then you can talk about the onside kick. Well, because it's Wyatt Mazur in a Wisconsin defender, one-on-one, got stopped at the one. And when Scott Frost says after the game, and I'm going to go, I'm going to try to read into something here, and right or wrong, this is just my analysis of it. Scott Frost said after the game that we just need a few more playmakers. And it would be nice to have a few more players available or in positions to lean on in key moments. I'm going to thread out that play. Because I would like to think when Scott Frost lines up all of his players, 150 of them, and he scans across, if he has a play where he knows he needs a score, Wyatt Mazur, great kid, on scholarship, native Nebraskan, walk-on. He's got a tremendous story, and I know White a little bit personally. He's a really good yes, kid. Yes, he is. Yep. But if you line all the guys up across the field, that's the one you're going to pick out to hold the ball and try to get that touchdown? What about the recruiting class last year? Ramir Johnson, been told so much about him. Diedrich Mills had a great game. Wondell Robinson standing on the sideline. He didn't play because he was injured. But still, out of everybody that's on the team, the fact that Wyatt is there and he's the one getting the call in that time, I, I love the play call. But I don't necessarily love the person who had the ball to execute the play at the end. And so... If I hear Scott Frost say the way I did on Saturday after the game that we're, we're a little bit lacking on the talent, that's the number one play I think of. And I think that I like that. I really do like that play call. But the execution wasn't quite there. Yep. And uh, it, yep. It, that's it what was you're responding Yeah. It, you know, the shovel pass against Purdue comes to mind where it's a pretty good play call on paper. Uh, but it's like, do you have the Jimmys and the Joes right now to execute the play? And and that's a, maybe a conversation for another day of adapting your scheme to what players you have. Um, so I I don't know. I, I we we spent a lot of time talking about that one play. There were several others in the game. Uh, that, I thought he that, called. I, that, I thought that, that, that caught. You know that caught cost Nebraska. I think the biggest one was maybe the kickoff return and or the interception. You know the interception really flipped the game, and and that's the point where we talk about the margin for error. We talk about it seems like deja vu with this podcast, Kevin. But we said the margin for error is so small against teams like Indiana and Purdue. What's it going to be for like Wisconsin? And you turn the ball over one time, and it felt like that was the game. And you you give off a you score a touchdown. The offense marches right down the field. Looks great. Thirteen seconds, fourteen seconds later, it's seven to seven. Eighty-nine yard touchdown return. This team is just too fragile mentally. It seems like to sustain any type of momentum shift, one way or the other. When Nebraska gets up. Ride the lead like they had against Indiana and Purdue. Step on the throat is the same. They can't do that. And, and you know, I will say, like, when they – let's see. I mean, when they go down, yeah, they'll fight back like they did, but it's just you can't overcome 
16 points against Wisconsin. You, ju- you just can't. I don't know. I, 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 I do believe that, you know, holding the lead in the first quarter, holding the lead early in the second quarter, and having Dedrick Mills rush for 188, Adrian Martinez playing the way he did, that's where, you know, I have a pretty positive tone about what I witnessed out of this team on Saturday. And I think it does. As you move it forward, going to Maryland, a team that when we talk about Nebraska losing four in a row, the Terrapins have lost five in a row. Their lone Big Ten win is against Rutgers. Um, so I, I really do like Nebraska's chances to win at Maryland. The Huskers have won only once on the road under Scott Frost. But I, I think that um, if Nebraska plays the way that they did this past week, they go to a college park, they get a victory, and now we're talking about the final game of the regular season, bowl eligibility being at stake, plus the Heroes Trophy. And it's Iowa week. Yeah. That could be fun. It's one of those where, like, and I've said this for a lot of games, I don't, it could be it ugly on Saturday, an ugly win. 11 a.m., you're away, there's not going to be anybody at the game. You're coming off a, wow, a, a you're painting week. a pretty negative picture here, Dan. <laughs> you're coming off a Wisconsin game where you probably got a little hype for, you got up for, and now you have Maryland. And so if Nebraska wins 21-17, I, you know, you take it, and then you and then you regroup, and you got the quick turnaround for Iowa, and you listed the the motivations there. I'm just trying to. Channel some positivity, channel some excitement, and really focus on the good that exists over these final two weeks. You know, I did spend some time the other night looking at, all right, two games left, need both wins, then bowl eligibility. you got to win both of them. Um, You know, the bowl bowl possibilities, they're not sexy. You're looking at Detroit. You're looking at the Pinstripe Bowl on December 27th up in uh, New York City. There's a few other options, but, you know, I think the practice is the biggest thing here. It's less about the bowl game. It's more about this young team getting 15 additional practices with this coaching staff. It would be like a condensed version of another fall camp. And you got to believe that this uh, coaching staff, yes, they will scheme for an opponent, but they will also use it for player development. That that would be very key. And it's it's interesting, Dan, because we were talking to the players on Monday at Nebraska's news conference about the bowl possibility. The players – they're not hiding behind the scenario that they are in, and they're not hiding about the motivation that exists of trying to get to a bowl game. However, you asked the head coach himself about bowl eligibility and bringing that into the locker room and talking to his guys about it, and I don't know that Scott necessarily liked the question. Well, it's it's one of those where, you know, Scott, I thought it was a very fair question, Scott has to deal with us uh, – you know, what, three times a week, Monday, Thursday, and then after the game. And when you're four and six, uh, you know, not everybody's in the best of moods. And, uh, yeah, it's a fair question, I thought. Hey, because uh, we had heard the players talk about the bowl game. Uh, Scott, do you talk about the bowl eligibility thing at all? And the answer was no. Basically, you guys do the talking for us. I will say this about the press conference because we've gotten a lot of interesting comments regarding these pressers. You know, we carry them on our CW station. I know that Huskers puts them out. There are so many ways in which you can watch these press conferences. The interesting dynamic at play here is that Scott Frost wants to talk about football. He wants to talk about the matchup. His team, the way it X's and O's, um, without giving up too much information, and about the upcoming matchup. Nebraska is four and six. Maryland is three and seven. How much does the media and the viewer, no, nonetheless, 
want to actually know about the matchup on Monday when the game is still six days away. Not, not a much. ton. Not, so not that's much. really the opportunity, I feel like, for um, the media. And the media, remember, is just trying to ask questions that our viewers and readers and everybody wants to know about the team. That's where we sometimes do get into bigger picture questions. And we do kind of look backward and try to revisit what happened on Saturday to see if the coach, you know, took anything out of a film study that maybe he didn't share with us on Saturday. And maybe get an update on uh, a player's development. So I think that's... That sometimes can really affect the way that these press conferences play out. It's the fact that coaches tend to want to talk about the matchup, schematics, and football. And sometimes the media likes to use that when it's six days away to maybe get some more information about a different storyline. And so that's where Monday's news conference was a little bit interesting um, I thought Scott Frost was fine. I, I felt like he had some really good quotes, including the one we played uh, just a sh- few minutes ago about needing to win and the winning habit and mentality. But here's Adrian Martinez, who probably had one of his better interviews of the entire season on Monday. He was in a good mood. He even was very playful with the media multiple times. And uh, I really like this crack that he had on some of the reporters in the room. When I first got here, you know, I love social media. And then, you know, kind of over the course of time, you know, I don't even have Twitter on my phone anymore. So um, that's just kind of the way it's, it's been, and that's been my way of, of handling it. Um, and that's, that's just how it goes, you know. Especially during the season, you want to try and tune out as much as you can and just focus on, um, you know, the guys inside the stadium. I didn't want it to be a distract, distraction. And, um, you know, as, as Coach Verdusco says and, and Frost, you know, praise and blame are, are all the same. So... You know, if you read the good stuff, you got to read the bad stuff. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather just kind of take that out of the equation. <laughs> Adrian even jokingly said to the media, I don't want to hurt your guys' feelings, but I don't do Twitter. And it got a chuckle out of everybody in the room. He said he does still have Instagram and Snapchat, though. Got to. Come on. You're in college. You got to. No, you yeah. don't have to. Yeah, he's a, he's a smart kid. He really is. He's sharp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he gets it. And... Uh, you know, he was asked Saturday after the game if, if these last four, five, six weeks have been hard on him, and, and he said, yeah, I'd be lying to you if, if it hadn't. And, and uh, again, 50-50 with the fan base, you know. 50%, oh, Adrian, we're behind you. You got it. You know, maybe 50%, well, you know, talk about his play on the field this season. So, uh you know, Adrian did thank the coaches. He, he told us that he is very appreciative of the coaches' unwavering support of him through this season because there has been a bit of criticism. He has never used the word criticism, but I think in some of these sound bites, like you're just talking about, Dan, that's the undertone, that he hears some of the noise. He's aware not only from his coaches in his own eyes watching film of his own play, but I think he's aware that some fans – he got booed. He got booed on Saturday at one point against Wisconsin. He did. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe taking the sack oh, when the Huskers were driving. Sack. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was a bad one. Doesn't it wasn't like booing. a huge Doesn't, roar yeah, of sure, that? Sure, of course not. But there's just some. Um, well, listen, you know that hits Scott Frost hard, and and he said after the game, uh, listen, I was 11 and two or whatever, and I was the most hated guy in the state. So. You know, we've talked about Adrian and Scott's relationship before, and, and let's just hope that Adrian uh, builds on the Wisconsin game and, and shows us something these last two games. Uh, because when he plays well, Nebraska can certainly win these 
next to I, – I did want to hit on a point I thought was interesting. So after the game on Saturday, Frost was um, – geez, and all we're talking about it's, it seems like is what Frost says, but – you try and read between the lines. So all season it's long, our, it's our source of information. Yeah, exactly. That's a good a good point. So all season long, it seems like Frost had been asked about the defense after games, after poor performances from the black shirts, and he would say, "I have to go and look at the tape. I'm getting the offensive plays ready while Eric Shenander's group is out there." And after the game on Saturday, Frost was asked about the defense, and he said basically that. We're not doing – we have not come as far as I thought we should have as a defensive unit. I thought that was interesting. It was different from what he had been saying before. And he, and he mentioned the 30-point thing. Uh, on Monday he was asked about that, a follow-up question. And he said, yeah, you know, ever since my time at Oregon, we have this stat where if we score over 31 points, we're – I don't know what the record is, but they're really good when Nebraska uh, scores over 31. So uh, there was a reason that he said that if we hold the team under 30, I like our chances. I just thought it was interesting. Obviously, Shenander uh, is starting to take more heat, I would say, than other coaches and position coaches. I think that's interesting because if you look at it, Nebraska actually did hold Wisconsin to 30 points defensively, if you take out the the kickoff return, they held Wisconsin to, I think, three field goals, um, and then they got the turnover. They, they lacked big plays against the Badgers, uh, but, but that's probably going to happen when your offensive game plan is just to run it down the opponent's throat with Jonathan Taylor. So I just... I feel like what one what is more disappointing this season is is it the offense or is it the defense? Yes. It's both. The answer, the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is always yes. And no. that's where it does kind of it fluctuates game to game. And I think that's what you're saying. It's an interesting conversation, but the fact that Scott Frost has vocally um, and publicly expressed some of that a little bit of ire toward the black shirts. Yeah, and we didn't get the uh, question to on Monday about that necessarily, um, but it's just it's so many things that that coaching staff is going to have to evaluate this season. And man, you can just tell that they are just pumping the recruiting train and wanting to get more talent in here. And and to the point, I was thinking about this. So if you do listen to this podcast on a weekly basis, thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm a Hoosiers guy, not Indiana, but the movie. Uh, and it, it's funny because I said a couple of weeks ago, like, hey, you can use the bench as your friend. And and I was thinking about that. And it's funny because Norman Dale didn't start winning games in that movie until he got Jimmy Chitwood. Mm. And, and that is what changed everything was talent, bringing in talent. So... You're a big recruiting guy, huh? <laughs> to bring in the talent. I mean it. Yeah, yeah. It it is. It doesn't mean part. I'm recruiting guy over development guy, but the the two go hand in hand. And yeah, you gotta you gotta get them in. On Saturday, Nebraska plays at Maryland. It's four and six versus three and seven. The game will be played in College Park, Maryland. The stadium there, Maryland Stadium capacity fifty one thousand eight hundred two. The field turf surface. Curious. How many? How many people? How many people are going to be there? Yeah. I don't know, but I did You'll see You'll be that, one of them. Uh, yeah. I did see that tickets were going for $21. Uh, 
Oh, that's pretty expensive. Yeah, I, I was surprised that it was that <laughs> I thought high. It'd be like five, if you, five bucks. If you get on StubHub, I, I just just a strange habit of mine. I'll get on StubHub and I'll get ready to watch a Mac football game in the middle of the week, and I'll get on StubHub to see how much you can get the tickets for, like two bucks. Yeah, you can go to Kent State versus uh, Bowling Green, and you can get a ticket as low as two dollars. And once you get in, you can sit wherever you want because the seats are not exactly full. But this will complete the cycle. Nebraska has played at every Big Ten stadium except for Maryland. And it's been a long time. Maryland came here a few years back. So this will complete the cycle for me. Um, this is the last one on the Big Ten list that I can cross off. After What's your favorite? This weekend. My favorite Big Ten stadium? Ohio Stadium, no question. I, I answered that quickly, and that's actually my favorite stadium that I've ever attended in college football, Ohio Stadium. It just I've been there for night games, been there for morning games. It, it's loud. It's fun. It's got so much energy. And I even feel like concourse level, uh, workflow-wise for the media, it is just outstanding. It's, it's really cool. That's how we judge stadiums is where's the media workroom? How good of food do they serve you? <laughs> how far do we have to park? Yeah, how far do we have to park? The if we have to walk if we if it's a if it's, you know, the big house and we have to walk a mile, oh, big house ranks towards the bottom. We're going to quick touch on something here uh, as we getting ready for Nebraska Maryland this week. The game Saturday starts at 2:30 and it will be televised on BTN. Dan, as we were going to the press conference uh, on Monday, I was telling you that when I was watching college football Saturday night, I was just looking at the scores at the bottom of the screen as they roll through game to game, and South Alabama came across, and it caught my eye. And I had to take a moment and realize Nebraska played South Alabama in 2019. It felt like it feels like that game was four years ago. Mm -hmm. And then as you continue to think back through this 2019 oh, yeah. journey, there's still two weeks left. Oh, it's but you started exhausting. documenting some of the Big Ten media days. Big, you know, Nebraska predicted to win the Big Ten West. Uh, Nebraska being in the top twenty-five or flirting with the top twenty-five. I'm, the I'm big red takeover in Colorado. Bear Pickery, Maurice Washington. Real quick pause. Like the reason we're bringing these up, they feel like seasons yes. ago, yes. not months or game weeks day. ago. Game College day. game day in game Lincoln. day was in Lincoln this year. That is. Mind-boggling. Not only were they in Lincoln, that, that was two months ago. I know. It feels like two years Remember ago. Remember when Nebraska was 3-1 and one and beat Illinois and everybody thought the world was coming to an end because they only beat Illinois by four points? Looks three like a good three win right and now. 3-1, 3-1 and one sounds really good right now. And Illinois is going to a bowl game. But as you continue to go down, you know, the fact that, like you said, Barrett Pickering's injury, well, Lane McCallum hits the game-winning field goal mm -hmm. against Northwestern. That yeah. was Nebraska's last win, four, 44 four days ago. Yeah, 4-2 and two at that point. But that seems so long ago. And then the Maurice Washington drama and the Wandell Robinson injury and, you know, some of the things that have been said in press conferences. I, it's just been a very exhausting, exhausting year. But it's not done, and it can still end in a positive note. I'm going to say this again, Dan. I think Nebraska goes to a bowl game. I think they can – that Iowa game, I know – I see it coming from a mile away. It's They're going to beat Maryland, and everybody's going to get back on board for Iowa because they hate Iowa, and there's going to be smack talk, and there's going to be Iowa fans in the crowd. It's probably going to be cold. Black and, Friday. And it's going to – it's just – it's going to be a close game, and it's like – can Nebraska get over the hump? Can they do 
that, you know, just the little things that we've been hearing about all year. Can they just put it together for one game and go six and six and go to a bowl game? And you know what? Like, I know Detroit, the quick lane bowl, that's being made fun of. The pinstripe bowl in New York, it's going to be a pain. But my goodness, when your team is playing after Christmas, it's a great feeling. The snow's coming down. You got a 1.30 kickoff, Nebraska and NC State, and it's like football. My team's playing, and they might be 6-6, six and six, but dang it, if they win, like, all and, right. And some people might be like, I've seen this team enough. I don't need a bowl game. I'll tell you this. Turn on the TV on December 27th. There's going to be a lineup of four or five bowl games that day, and you're going to say in that moment – Man, I wish Nebraska was yep. playing. Yep. So you might in the moment right now feel like, oh, agree. Well, well this, I feel that way. It's been exhausting. <laughs> like, I feel it's that been way. exhausting. This hasn't been the best season, falling far short of expectations, and it might have really just taken a lot out of you as a Husker fan. But I do think when bowl season rolls around and you start watching some of these matchups, you're gonna wish Nebraska was playing in those games. So I do. I don't know. In my heart, and I said this last week, I've said this even through Nebraska's skid here in the middle of middle of the season, I feel like they are talented enough, as you mentioned, if they can get everything to line up, and I do think that there is still a game in there somewhere where it does all align, I think they're going to win these final two games, and hello, Detroit. All right. We'll see if it happens or not. But that's how I feel right now. We're going to quick pivot and talk about Nebraska volleyball because the Huskers have a huge week ahead. Nebraska at the moment is 14-2 and in the Big Ten Conference. They're second behind only Wisconsin. And the Badgers are on the schedule for this week. In fact, the Huskers have two of the best teams in the Big Ten coming up this week. They play at Minnesota on Friday. They play at Wisconsin on Sunday. John Cook talking all about the Big Ten Championship, and his team is right in the thick of the Husker of the conference race. Oh, man, Minnesota. So the Devaney Center is great. I, I love it. It's, it's one of a kind for volleyball, but I do love where Minnesota plays. They play – so the barn is where they play their basketball games, and in the same bu- building, basically, is their volleyball court. And we're talking like straight from the 1930s, like these old wooden stands and, you know, the rails going everywhere. And that place was so loud. So um, Nebraska played up there. Minnesota hosted the Elite Eight, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. And Minnesota lost in the Sweet 16, I think, to Kentucky. Uh, and then Kentucky or Oregon beat Minnesota, and that's who Nebraska beat to go to the Final Four. But I was so looking forward to Nebraska playing Minnesota with the home crowd there, and Nebraska fans, of course, would have traveled up there, been a good contingent of, of big red fans. But that place gets so loud. It is old school. They pack in there. So I'm looking forward to watching that one on TV, which could be there in person. And then Wisconsin, obviously. I think... You know, uh, you you really lay an egg against Iowa anytime you go five sets with Iowa and you dominate them for so many years. You go five sets. Iowa probably feels like it won on Saturday night. Nebraska feels like it lost. Luckily, it didn't. It counts as a win. And now you regroup for, for a huge weekend away from home. I do feel like anybody could win the Big Ten at this point in time. Amongst these teams, Wisconsin, who has a one-match lead, Nebraska, Penn State, Maryland, they're all at 4-2. and two. And I asked John Cook 
if he feels like this week will determine the Big Ten champion? And he answered very quickly back. He said no, because if you look at next week, Minnesota and Wisconsin have to go to Penn State. So though the focus right now for Nebraska could play its way out of the conference race this week, even if they win these two, it ain't over. Right. Penn State could be lurking in the wings, too. So uh, this is all setting up for a very exciting finish to the regular season for Nebraska volleyball. And only four matches are left. And then so the selection show is two weeks from Sunday, believe it or not. It's crazy. Sunday after Thanksgiving? The Sunday after Thanksgiving, you bet. And so Nebraska plays its final uh, regular season match at home. And so that would be a pretty awesome sight. If the Huskers can get the Big Ten lead, possibly win the conference, they would maybe get uh, handed the trophy on what would be senior night, yet there are no seniors on the roster, so it could become Big Ten championship trophy night. And they, do, they would have the streamers come down. And uh, fortunately for Nebraska volleyball fans, they've witnessed that a time or two inside the Devaney Center. So, so that's the stage for Husker volleyball as they have a huge week ahead. And then Nebraska football, as we've discussed, on the road to Maryland, final road contest of the season we'll find out if that's the final game away from Lincoln of the season for this 2019 bunch yep uh I don't care how you do it just get the win think then that, then do you we'll think they do? yeah I, th I think they'll beat Maryland I don't know I don't promise it's going to be pretty and then you regroup for Iowa and everybody comes back on board to beat the Hawks all right that's the stage for Husker Athletics thanks for listening to the in report podcast with Dan Corey I'm Kevin Suits we'll talk to you next week You've been listening to the End Report Podcast from 1011 Now. Subscribe and leave a ratings on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcast. For more Husker coverage throughout the week, watch 1011 Now Sports and download the 1011 Now app. This is an alert from your Stay up to date during severe weather season with push notifications from the 1011 Now Weather App. Download the 1011 Now Weather App for free today.